often. Faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzera, and I'm not going to waste time with a long introduction because I'm so excited about the conversation that I recorded for this episode. This gentleman, his name is Mikado Fujimura, and he's a professional artist. Absolutely incredible. Like, his work will blow your mind. And that's not why we've got him on the show, though. The reason he's on this show is because he recently wrote a book about how art and making and faith intersect. And it applies to all of us because we're all makers in one way, shape, or form. So that's all I'm going to give you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Makoto Fujimura. Well, Makoto, thank you for joining the Chasing Goodness podcast. So great to have you on. And just to get us uh, started here, why don't you give us a 30,000-foot view of who you are, (laughs) what you do, and what you're engaged with? It's great to be here. Uh, I'm an artist. And... um... Uh, even though this is an audio podcast, if you were to see me, you would see me in my Princeton studio here where um, I have several larger paintings in the back, uh, uh, many paintings that I'm working on here. And that's primarily my first calling is to paint and to be an artist in the world. Uh, but as a result of that, I spend a lot of time reflecting on what it means to be an artist in the world mm-hmm. and um, particularly in these divisive times how can art be part of how we communicate to each other so um, I've written several books as it turns out one of my abilities is to talk about what I do in a way that perhaps people who are not artists can understand so I end up advocating for culture artists a lot um and i wrote a book called culture care um which which is really years of doing that in new york city and other places um i was born actually in boston my father is a research scientist and then spent considerable amount of time in japan and uh, came back in middle school to u.s uh, schools went to Bucknell University in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, and then went back to Japan for graduate program in Nihonga curriculum, which is traditional Japanese style paintings. And uh, that harkens back to 15th century Japan. Uh, I was particularly interested in applying 16th and 17th century Japanese art to my contemporary art. Uh, so I exhibit in contemporary art galleries. I uh, wrote two books after Cultural Care. One was called Silence and Beauty um, about uh, Endo Shusakendo's novel and Martin Scorsese's film, Silence. And then my recent work is called Art Plus Faith, uh, Theology of Making. Uh, came out just last year. Um, it's uh, really a compilation of many years of thinking about theology and making and art um, and how it does art and 
faith intersect and in what ways can it be relevant to all of us, not just artists. So it's it's really my life work. Um, I was with a good editor. I was able to uh, compress it to the size that it is, but it's uh, I wrote uh, uh, three times as much volume of materials as I published. And so uh, uh, a lot a lot more to say about that. Yeah. So art plus faith, a theology of making. Now I can only speak, <laughs> I'll only speak of my own experience here. Yeah. My experience with faith, church, religion, mm-hmm. often it's uh you know, Michael, often it's so focused on cerebral knowledge, understanding yes. <laughs> of sacred texts, things like that. But I, in a different way, you know, am an artist myself. You know, I grew up as a musician, went to school for music. And so I've yeah. always been so fascinated with the connection to God through the arts. Yeah. And I feel like, at least in modern times, I don't know that historically speaking, it's always been the case, but I feel like we've lost that that connection between art and the divine yeah. which is why i'm yeah. so excited about this book can yeah. you can you just bring a little <laughs> bit of light to to that thought of, well, of why this yeah. is so important to you sure absolutely and if if you were to read the first paragraph of the bible you know that god is the artist right. creator and uh, if that's all you need all you knew about God, that that may be all you need to know about God. And I start the book with the theological concept of the aseity of God, A-S-E-I-T-Y, which is somewhat um, not talked about uh, that much in in the church anymore, but um, used to frame kind of a very key framework for understanding theology. And a safety of God is basically that God stands outside of time and space and is all sufficient, self sufficient. So God doesn't need us at all. God doesn't need creation. God doesn't need nature. God did not create out of need, as we may. Um, but God created out of gratuitous love. Uh, God is love. And therefore, love exudes with this outflow of creation. So we are, in one anthropologist's uh, words, eccentric. You know, we exist in in a, that eccentric manner, um, not central to the needs of reality of creation. Michael, once I heard somebody describe it as we weren't created or you know like you said nature wasn't created out of necessity but it was just an overflow of really god as maker it was we we were created because we were meant to be created not out of necessity but because god as a maker as a creator as an artist it was just a natural overflow out of of overflow and yet highly intentional right because the next thing you know about god is uh christ's incarnation uh, you know, as a baby in a manger, and and that that is at the heart of what we believe as Christians. And yet, we don't think about that huge chasm gap, perhaps, between the independence of God, this utter independence um, and dependence of God to creation. You know, Christ came as 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 a babe, which means. He was utterly dependent on his mother and his father and and whole creation to exist, and yet that paradox is, you know, we we hold two together simultaneously, 
that leads to uh, what I believe is theology of making, what I call theology of making, because out of uh, reality of being created to be creative, that even though God doesn't need us, God chooses to work through us in our limited ability to create, to bring in the new creation, which is a crazy idea if you think about it. If you if you really understand what I just said, you'll be like, what? That right. too good to be true, or you're crazy. Uh, these are two, you know, your two options. <laughs> 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 I mean that, but that's what—that's the beauty of art, right? Things that are yeah. hard for us to conceptualize somehow right. come together. Can you can you explain your connection to God for the first time? Because my understanding is it was through a artistic experience. Yeah. So what happened to me was, uh, you know, I, I'm a child, two year old child painting, and I, I even as far as I can remember, I connected what I did to create something and this gush of energy that I felt coming from outside of me. It wasn't, you know, I knew it wasn't mine. Um, and I have this painting that I, my mother kept when I, I she, she says I was two and a half, <laughs> I don't know, but that is utterly free of ego. Uh, it's just gestures and colors, but it's the same kind of gestures and colors that I use today. Wow. So early on, I had this imprint um, of what one might say, you know, you're called to be an artist. But at the same time, it was absolutely natural to me that this God of the Bible, who exists outside of time and space, is the source of all creativity and imagination. Now, it took me a while to you know, connect those dots. Um, uh, so I, I call my journey into Christianity my inversion rather than conversion, <laughs> because I had already experienced the Spirit uh, working. I just didn't know w what to call that. And um, when I began to seriously look into Christianity, and especially the words of Christ, I um, and the Psalms, actually, the, those two really helped me to connect uh, what I was experiencing in the studio and uh, who this creator, creator God is. Yeah, so it was almost as if your experience of making and creating came yeah. first, and then there was an understanding that came kind of on right. the backside <laughs> of that. I love that. That's, that's yeah, you know, that's it's right. different than a lot of people's story, but that's part of what I, I really appreciate about yeah. it. Now, I've heard you share both in your book, and I've heard some interviews that you did where you talk yeah. about this um, reality that we see art and making in the Bible a lot more than maybe we give it credit for. There's sometimes mm -hmm. when we'll maybe interpret a word as one thing when really we could look at that word and take a much more artistic approach to what right. the Bible is saying right. around it. Can you right. share a little bit about that? Oh, yes. Um, you know, when I became a follower of Christ, I, I read through the Bible twice. Uh, that, you know, I'm kind of like a one or nothing kind of guy. <laughs> and, um, and I would go to, uh, I was in Japan at the time, I, I visit my missionary friends, and I tell them all these things I'm reading, that this is, this is amazing as an artist to read, because it's, it's full of creation, it's, it's, you know, and, and drama, you know, uh, fallen creatures invited over and over by this creator God to um, 
in in some ways um, going out of God's way as we are to extend grace so that you know we 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 can build a boat you know Noah's <laughs> ark you know and name the animals in 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 the garden and um the, you know all these things like tabernacle Moses and the, the temple and it's all about making <laughs> so i i talked to my Christian friends, and they're like, "Oh, that's interesting. That's a, that's a really artist's way of looking at the Bible." And I was like, oh, "Okay, so that I, you know, that must be the way I read it." Now, it took me a long time to say that actually, <laughs> it is truer to say that my reading as an artist, assuming that God is the artist, that reading in the Bible is more true to biblical narrative. Which is all about making, um, you know. It's it's creation of a nation, creation of you know, uh, tabernacle to a nation to from from Christ's perspective, creation of a body of Christ to, you know, to to the city of God, right? So 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 it's all cohesively uh, told if you understand the Bible that way. But you hear sermons all the time about, for instance, James' uh, passage about becoming a doer of the word, um, or, or Ephesians' passage about, you know, you are God's workmanship. You, you are a part of a utilitarian purpose of God to, to, you know, design efficiently something about fixing the world. And then James says, become a doer of the word. That means you, you are to become activists. Right, your faith, if it's not active, it's 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 empty words. Now that those are true statements, but they are incomplete because the when you look at the, um, the original language uh, in Greek or Hebrew, the the Bible seems to be completely biased toward, for instance, that word workmanship is poema. Poema is the word Greek word from which we get the word poem. Hmm. And therefore, you know, we're not just God's workmanship, we're God's masterpieces. We're God's artworks. You know, collectively speaking, God sees us so beautiful that God would do, you know, this whole thing over <laughs> and do exactly the costly sacrifice that God gave through Jesus in order for us to, for, to convince us in a way that we are that beautiful, worthy of God's gaze upon, you know, our fallen, even as fallen as we are. James, uh, becoming a dual word, is, is the related word, the poetess, which means we're not just becoming doers, we are to become poets of the word. So we have to be, have this attuned, sense of being able to look at the world, broken world, and say, well, what is, where do I find dissonance to be beautiful? How do I craft something in that? So, so yes, we are being activists, but we are also um, being a beautiful <laughs> activist. Uh, we are creating something not just to fix the world, but to create something new in, in resonance with God's own heart, who is all beauty, all love, and therefore everything we should do should have a marking of that divine creator who designed us uh, to be remarkably 
um, adept at creating beauty. But going back to the current state of the church, that is not, if you ask a person on the street, what do you think of, you know, when you think of both Christian, that is not the first thing, you, you know, comes out of their mouth, I'm sure. They'll say, oh, it's a weird political party. It's, it's extreme. It's, it's, you know, and, and they're pious people. Even that doesn't describe this exuding creativity and imagination that we once had, you know, in 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 pre-Renaissance times, where Angelico was painting during the Black Plague. And how could a Dominican priest <laughs> waste time painting, you know? Right. But that's exactly what Christians were known for. They were known for beer and art, <laughs> you know, and, and great ca- grand cathedrals and 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 hospitals. Right, yeah. so these things we were known for once marked by we we have lost that um, partly because of how we partly because of our theology, you know, partly because 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 we have become doers and we have become machines to execute God's plan for the world. Yeah, I yeah, I'm going to be thinking about that for a while, but that's just <laughs> such an interesting thought because I you know I agree with you and I've always been fascinated about you know how the church was at a, a time in history known for its artistic expression. And like you said, you know, clergy members taking the time to paint yeah. or write music. poetry or write yeah. music. And, yeah. and we, at some point, it seemed like there was a switch in what was desired more was knowledge or power. Yeah. And we lost that, um, we lost that ability or, or at least we, I don't know. Maybe we, I don't think we ever lost the ability. We're certainly no. <laughs> not known for artistic expression and maybe we've just stopped making it a priority and, and maybe that's a yeah. part yeah, of it. Yeah, we don't, we don't necessarily stop be, being makers. You know, we just right. create in a different way. Uh, we create out of fear, not yeah. out of love. So, you know, that's the problem is, you know, many people say, well, I'm, I'm not an artist, you know, that like, like, and I'm like, well, but you live in stories you 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 know you create you i mean you garden you cook you you know and and we we are just fundamentally we're we're making things all the time if we do not make out of love what we do is we are um constrained by fear to make up stuff that we don't even you know it doesn't even exist out of fear and anxiety and and so so we have to learn that imagination is a gift from God. It is not to just fantasize about, you know, to escape from the world, but it, it is exactly the mechanism and, and device given by God to us a gift to cultivate. Yeah, and I appreciate that you you call it a theology of making because it would be easy. <laughs> I mean, Mako, it'd be so easy to to look at some of your work, see, you know, all the, yeah. all of what you're capable of and just, you know, say, well, that's, I don't make like Mako makes, so <laughs> right. I don't know if this applies to me, <laughs> but I appreciate that you just, you know, you said it so clearly that we're all making something, you know, yes. we all are, there is a theology of making that applies to every single one of us, yes. whether we consider ourselves an artist or like you said, we're, we're cooking, we're, we're, yeah. we're <laughs> raising children. And the, yeah. the interesting yeah. thing as a musician, and I know a lot of artists as well, is that even the 
even the musician who just does it for fun once in a while on a weekend still has this ability to create and feel um, yeah. alongside of that expression. Even yeah. the artist that that does it for fun after work and doesn't show anybody their work that the experience that they have, that connected experience that they have to that process is, is a big part of what makes it uh, yeah. special. But you know, I've never thought about it like you just mentioned that we can also make and create things that are destructive if if the yeah, spirit absolutely. behind it is is incorrect and i guess i've never really thought about that so i think I yeah i mean that. you know worrying about something is in itself an imaginative mm-hmm. act you know we create these scenarios that you know is not real <laughs> you know wow. we worry about them that that happens to all of us but you know uh, what's the antidote to that you know if, if if that is true about us um antidote is doing something um you know that discipline of crafting whether it be music art or uh, you know being a chef i mean it's just it's just like th- there's you know, 10,000 hours of failure time in order to make anything, right? And and then we, we assume that what we imagine don't come true, but that's also proven to be not the case. Hmm. The world that we create, we begin to inhabit, and we begin to make that more of a reality. Um, so... It's really critical, I think, if, if you are especially uh, somebody who reads the Bible, um, cares about uh, what the Bible is saying to us, our hearts. Um, you know, sanctification involves first, I think, sanctification of vision, sanctification of imagination. And from there, we can create our lives in ways that God want, wants us to, you know, free of our own guilt and from sin, and and we we're able to look to the fallen reality and see something new in 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 the very at the very heart of darkness, um, and something beautiful, and and those those are things that human all human beings <laughs> uh, have the capacity to do. As, as somebody that just appreciates appreciates art so much, one of the things that I love about visual art, music, dance, all of it, there's a beauty to the imperfection of it. Yes. I guess perceived yes. imperfection, right. maybe. And again, that seems to contradict a lot of how in our modern times we think about theology. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. can you speak to just the, <laughs> the the imperfection that comes through art that actually is what brings its its beauty into this world? Yeah, thank you for asking that. I've been thinking a lot about that. And um, in Eastern traditions, uh, I talk a lot about kintsugi, this venerable art form, uh, tea tradition of mending broken tea, teaware with the Japan and gold, highlighting the fractures with gold rather than hiding them. Right. So the end result of a kintsugi bowl is far more valuable than the original, even if the original is very valuable. Um, then that's that's a perfect example of new creation, you know, because we we, we can understand how post resurrection appearance of Jesus exactly is kintsugi. You know, it, it, he's he's not only a human being glorified; he's a wounded human being glorified. Mm-hmm. And it's through his wounds that we are healed. 
So that means what about our wounds? What about our imperfections? What about, you know, somehow God sees all things, all brokenness. Um, like a Kintsugi master will see a broken uh, ceramics. And not just to be fully aware of its brokenness and, and necessity to, you know, mend it so that it can be we can be become a T-ball again. But at the heart of that process is seeing beauty in brokenness, beauty in imperfection. So it is the reverse of what you might, you know, Western mind would say, well, if you if you break something, throw it away and buy a new one. It's it's the opposite of consumer mentality uh, to value something exactly because it is broken, mm. <laughs> that it is more valuable, you know, um, and and that kind of thinking uh, has uh, has um, you know been kept in Eastern side of things, but but in Western cultures um, it, it has been literally thrown out. Uh, uh, you know, anything that is not useful, that's not efficient is considered to be useless. And many times in our lives, the things that we, cons- the actions that we consider to be useless are the ones that we remember. Mm. For instance, if you are making music, right, wasting time together on Saturday afternoon, you actually remember that Saturday afternoon more than nine to five office work that you've done or, you know, building your resume so that you can have five cars in a garage. Those things we don't remember on our deathbeds. But it's the conversation you had with a child just hanging out and all of a sudden your daughter says something that you will never forget. Those things you remember, right? So these useless things that would not be very efficient or in a Darwinian scale of survival, you know, survival of the fittest, it would be utterly, actually, uh, you know, the opposite of <laughs> being able to survive this survival game, right? But because you're slowing down, you're taking in deeper what is happening and then processing that deeply. So you know, you're not running away from things, you're, you're fully engaged, you're fully present, even in hard realities, like going through some uh, loved one's death. Somehow those things create us. And, and so in that sense, you know, we are not only creatures of the imagination, but we are meant to look at our broken, imperfect moments <laughs> And behold that, right? Rather than trying to constantly to seek to improve ourselves, to, to be this and that, so so we can prove to God that you know we're worthy or something like that, or to each other. We need to kind of step back and say, oh, perhaps it is being in the being very present in the brokenness without trying to do anything, really. But to be fully present, at that moment, something breaks in in our lives that is so miraculous and so beautiful. And we begin to re-narrate what we have been through, uh, you know, especially if you've been through trauma, that 
those experiences, as painful as they are, are part of us now, and we can actually create something new because of that. So often, and maybe this is just our Western mindset, but we always want to fix everything, right? We want to, yes. we, if something's <laughs> broken, we want to fix it. But I love, mm-hmm. you know, your, your idea that you're just speaking there about, you know, there's something beautiful about remaining in the brokenness and yeah. learning what we yeah. can from, from that, which is, yeah. Yeah. which is pretty, pretty beautiful. And as I'm listening to you talk, and as we're talking <laughs> about art, like I'm even thinking, you know, and you talked about like, what do you remember? I even think from a spiritual experience, mm-hmm just about everything that I can remember spiritually in church, outside of church, whatever, but specifically right now, I'm thinking about, you know, experiences that I've had in church settings. The things I remember are the artistic expressions of (laughs) faith. I can remember the artist at that one service. I can remember just this last Christmas, I grew up Catholic. um, And so just as a way of kind of reconnecting with root, with my roots, my wife and I, we went to a midnight mass and the, the the choir was just so, you know, that I don't remember what the priest said, but I remember that choir, right? Right. I remember, you know, I remember some of those meals that, you know, either I made or somebody, you know, that is truly, and they're imperfect. Like you said, they're not, or, or they're how they're supposed, I don't know. Imperfect even is a weird yeah, word. Right? And everything you just said is, is theological. You know, a church right. was born in song, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't born in a sermon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was born in song. It's community singing about God and Christ and, you know, 14 writings, epistles, a foot of these examples of hymns being sang and and Paul keeps using words like, you know, you um, uh, in Christ, you're a new creation, right? So th- these are not just, you know, three-point sermons. Right. <laughs> these are communal experiences of joy and, and grief mm-hmm. being sang together in a, in a very fragmented, dark, oppressed times. But, you know, persecution is happening, you know, but and yet they are singing together, right, in prisons and, and so forth. And, you know, N.T. Wright, who graciously wrote a f- beautiful forward to my book, mm-hmm. said, you know, Jesus didn't come with a whole bunch of lectures, you know, it wasn't a lecture series, he came and to give us a meal. And so those things we remember, right? We <laughs> remember the song, we remember the story, we remember the meal, and and so the, then, then if you flip the question, then why are we doing church in a way that we don't remember? And and it doesn't mean that sermons are not you know right. worth, worth it or anything like that. But but we should ask that question: what what is that extravagant beauty, like Mary's nard being you know broken to anoint Jesus? What is that aroma in our experience of creating worship, creating, and being a Christian. And how can we become people of that aroma? And so everything we do, cooking, music, art, community, should have some something to do with that. 
Yeah. And I don't think either you or I are advocating for this idea that we get rid of the sermon or we get rid of, no, no, it's, no, no. it's that we, yeah. we add to it. We round it out. We create together yeah. as opposed to putting yeah. kind of precedence right. on one sort of creation right. and right. not on the other. I, right. you just a little while ago, you alluded to, you know, creation and art in the concept of hurt and, um, yeah. and, and darkness and yeah. I, I, I too just think historically how that has happened. You know, I think about in our country when, when slavery yeah. was happening and, you know, yeah. years ago and how creative expressions of art and music came about through that. And now yeah. I, now here we are, right. We can look at our world right now and find plenty of darkness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just struck that maybe the solution that we should be looking for should be much less cerebral or we of course, continue to try to find cerebral answers to questions, but we maybe need to add to that, the healing beauty of, of art and of, of making. Yeah. So since knowledge is not just cerebral, it, 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 that's the end product. And that, Mm. that, you know, it's very important because it is the end product, but, but what it comes out of is, is somatic, right? We, we, we learn things bottom up, right, left, a friend of mine says, uh, a clinical psychiatrist. You know, what he means is when we are born, we begin by, um, you know, tasting, touch, right, aroma, and and then that filters up into the right side, the affective side of the brain, which uh, processes it as emotion, as, as key emotion to attach ourselves to uh, entrust ourselves to and then that then that becomes a, a, a base for us analytically communicating through language right so so bottom up right left now what we tend to do in any education system or church is the opposite <laughs> you know we, we, we try to put it in the information on the left side and try to push it down as much as we can now sometimes we're successful but most of the time we you know we leave church listening to a sermon very intellectual processing and then get all the information right and then we go into the world and very few of that filters into right. what we do somatically so you know, the idea of perhaps thinking about reversing that to where we can communally learn better, you know, this idea that God flipped the, the you know, the kingdom principles uh, reverse than the typical, you know, ways that we uh, seek power. It is through the weak, it is through the poor, it is through brokenness that we experience, you know, God's promise. Um, th- th- those are principles that we preach, but we don't really, yeah. you know, pra- put it into practice. Like, like it has to be somatic. And, you know, re- reason is not opposed to, you know, our effective side, and it's not opposed to our somatic side. It- it's just the re- order has to be reoriented so that the analytical reasoning, a language capacity to communicate information, all of that is is connected with with our communal bodily realities. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> so right. You know, and it's almost as if we're thinking about everything backwards. You know, I, yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. How would you encourage, you know, we live in this Western culture, you know, yeah. and yeah. Um, spirituality is deeply important to a lot of us. How would you encourage 
the normal average citizen of the world to engage more in their their making side or engage more in the theology of making i guess i should say yeah uh first of all you know when i talk about culture care we, we need to change the language from language of culture wars mm. where we're fighting an ide ideological battle that the culture is a battleground that idea uh it's a metaphor you know and and we live in it culture has become culture wars because we have spent the last 20 years cultivating our imagination toward that <laughs> so my proposal my very simple proposal is just please change the metaphor to culture care uh instead of looking at culture as a battleground let's look at it as a garden to steward together to raise and nurture good and beautiful and tasty things uh let's look at it as an ecosystem to steward where we there are beautiful birds and animals uh you know in abundance if if we do that and if we disagree on how to do that that's great. Let's disagree. Let's have, you know, um, conferences on, you know, <laughs> who, who's right and who's wrong. But at the end of the day, if you're tending a tomato, it doesn't matter if the person is a Democrat or a Republican, right? If, if the person is raising a good tomato, you want to learn from that person. <laughs> so the question is not whether you're right or wrong, it's the fruitfulness. So whoever has the longest lines at the farmer's market should <laughs> be allowed to say how he or she made that tomato and so, so that we can learn from that. So let's look for fruitfulness, not just ideological passing to you know, fight over. And once we can start to do that, then, then we can start to see like, okay, I can participate in something that I, I may not agree with ideologically. You know, if, if an atheist playwright is, is beginning an avant-garde theater in your district, you might want to be the first in line to support that artist, even though the person is the opposite, you know, of your, your political spectrum. Why? Because that person has been engaging somatically in the world in a way that you do not so you have you can just sit and learn from that even if you disagree with what's going on in the content side right and you know we might disagree that you know this movie or this this book or the, you know has has all these things that you disagree with fine let's talk about it but is it beautiful is it fruitful is it something that engenders conversation among us? Is, is it like, you know, giving us some vibe about life itself, you know, that, that makes life worth living, right? If that's the case, then, then we should be the first to observe that, articulate that. We, we need, you know, artists to teach us how to do that. We need critics to teach us how to discern good, you know, and all these things are part of uh, caring for culture and, and being able to create an ecosystem that produces abundant fruitfulness rather than a devastated waterland uh, like we're seeing in Ukraine right now. As we bring this home today, I just want to reiterate the points that Mako made that all of us are makers, all of us are making in some way, shape or form. And if our faith is only how we interpret things, how we think, how what our theology looks like, then we're missing a great 
humongous piece of this relationship with the divine. And so whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you do, whether you're an artist, whether you're a musician, whether you're a chef, whether you're whatever, whatever it is that you're making, allow that to inform and expand and enlighten your connection to God. Special thanks to Makoto Fujimura for this incredible interview. You can find him at his website. I'm going to spell it for you because it's a mouthful, okay? It's M-A-K-O-T-O-F-U-J-I-M-U-R-A dot com. I'll link that into the show notes as well. Another really cool thing that he wanted me to draw your attention to is that on the Yale U Press website, and again, I'll link that in the show notes, they're offering a free reader's guide for culture care community. So if you want to grab that book and maybe get a group together to go through it, that would be incredible. And this resource is absolutely free. Again, that'll be in the show notes of this episode. Thanks as always for listening and being with me today. If you want to support this podcast, of course, you can subscribe to it, give it a five-star rating and write a review. You can find me online on Facebook or Instagram at Matt Kinzera and the website is mattkinzera.com. That last name is K-E-N-D-Z-I-E-R-A. And as always, let's continue chasing goodness together.